Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series and the book of Acts with this message entitled, Paul's Trial Before King Agrippa, preached November the 5th, 2000. This morning, we want to consider Acts 25, 13 through Acts 26, verse 32. St. Paul before King Agrippa. In chapter 26, we have the longest and the most important of Paul's five speeches in defense of him and the gospel. You know, he was innocent of all charges leveled against him by the Jewish people. Charges like that he was against the law, against the temple, that he was against Caesar. But the truth was, none of these charges was proven. They were false. The truth was, he was innocent of all these charges. Yet because of politics, the governor Felix and Festus did not set him free. St. Paul did not receive justice. So as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar Nero that he may have an opportunity to defend himself before Caesar Festus, the new governor, now consults King Agrippa II in order to know what is to write on the charge sheet to be sent to Rome with the prisoner St. Paul. Who is this King Agrippa? He is the great-grandson of Herod the Great who attempted to kill infant Jesus. His father was King Agrippa I, who beheaded Apostle James and was arrested St. Peter to be killed. And the Lord was angry with this King Agrippa I, and he was killed by God in this city of Caesarea. This Agrippa the first had two daughters, Bernice and Drusilla. And Drusilla was the wife of Felix. And then Agrippa the second. When Agrippa the first died in AD 44, Agrippa the second was 17 years of age. And he was being trained in Rome in the court of Claudius. In AD 48, he became king of a small territory in the Lebanon Valley, which belonged to his uncle, Herod of Chalcis. And when he died, this kingdom was given to Agrippa II. In AD 53, in exchange for this small kingdom, 
Agrippa II was given the territories of Eturia, Traconitis, and Abilene. And later he was given the territory of Peria and also certain cities of Galilee. This Agrippa II was considered an authority on Jewish affairs, an authority on Jewish scriptures and Jewish conflicts. Rome appointed him as the curator of the temple, so he had authority to appoint high priests. And he was also in charge of the temple treasury. He did not have any children. He was living in an incestuous relationship with his younger sister, Bernice. This Bernice was a year younger than King Agrippa II. At 13, she was married to her uncle, Herod of Chalcis. And she lived with him for seven years and had two children. But when her husband died at age 20, she returned to live with Agrippa II, her brother. She was a pervert and she lived with many people. And also she was the mistress of Titus, the son of Vespasian. During the Jewish revolt, King Agrippa and Queen Bernice sided with Rome and in fact celebrated Rome's victory over the Jewish people. This king's capital was Caesarea Philippi, which he renamed as Neronias in honor of Caesar Nero. Agrippa II called himself great king, pious friend of Caesar and friend of Rome. He was the last of the Herods and he died in AD 100 at the age of 73. So this king and Queen Bernice were visiting Caesarea to call on the new governor Festus to maintain certain good relationship with him. He came to hear about St. Paul and he wanted to hear St. Paul. Even as Herod Antipas wanted to hear Jesus Christ, not to believe in Jesus Christ, but to be entertained by Jesus Christ. And so here to be entertained and probably stimulated in his mind by the ideas of St. Paul. So we are told with great pomp and glitter, king and queen entered the palace auditorium. That palace was built by his great-grandfather Herod the Great. And they took their seats. And if you read the Greek text of the book of Acts, St. Luke, the author, says they came in great fantasy. The word is fantasia. That means they were dressed in purple. They were wearing gold circlets of their crown on their brow. 
Here Luke by the usage of this word fantasy is indicating that it is simply a fantasy. Nothing lasting. The fashion and the pomp of this world is passing away. Only the word of God and his kingdom shall last. Herods are gone. Rome is gone. But this morning we are speaking about the word of God which remains and of which St. Paul was an apostle. Where are Agrippa, Bernice and all Herods and all Caesars today? I want you to know by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ they are where the rich man of Luke 16 is. In hell, in agony, and in torment. They all lived a life of fantasy, dressed in purple, lived a luxurious life every day. But the days of fantasy for them were over forever. What an audience for St. Paul, king, queen, governor. The leading citizens of the city and leading Roman officials. It is possible that Paul's friend, St. Luke, was there also. To such an august body, Paul now makes his defense and preaches the gospel. Paul did not have a great physique. Elsewhere we are told that he was a little fellow, balding, with beetle brow, hooked nose, and bandy legs. No sex symbol. (laughs) But we are told he was full of grace. No crown, no purple gown. He enters the palace in chains and in the prisoner's tunic. But look, as people of God, look, we will see the Holy Spirit resting upon him. So he was full of wisdom and confidence. And let's look at his defense. He says, first of all, that he is a Pharisee. He was brought up as a Pharisee. By his father who was a Pharisee. As such he says he lived in strict adherence to the law of Moses. And he says this matter of his faithfulness to Judaism was a well known factor. Many in Jerusalem could witness to this. As a strict Pharisee. He says he believed in the scriptures. The law and the prophets stand for the holy scriptures. He believed therefore in the hope that was set forth in the Old Testament. The hope of the resurrection of the dead. That God would raise up the dead And give them eternal life. This hope. Was the very heart. 
of the revelation of God given to the Jewish people. Not only he was a Pharisee, he was also a persecutor. Though he was a Pharisee and believed in the scriptural hope of the resurrection of the dead, he was of the conviction that Jesus was a blasphemer. And that the Jews were right in condemning him and crucifying him. And he was of the conviction that the claim of the Christians that Jesus rose from the dead was patently false. So as a zealot and as an activist, Paul became a fanatical persecutor of Christianity. He says he imprisoned the saints, that means the Christians. He cast his vote for the murder of many Christians. Like he cast his vote for the killing of Saint Stephen. He was instrumental in punishing those saints in various synagogues. He even forced the saints to blaspheme but failed. The Greek text tells us. Probably he brought them all out and gave them an opportunity. He didn't want to kill anybody unless he has to. So he would give them an opportunity to say Jesus is accursed. But they would not. All these things he says he did by the authority and commission of the high priest. He would even go to foreign cities to persecute God's people. Finally, he says that he became a preacher of the gospel. But on his way to Damascus, he was arrested by the glory of the Lord Jesus. Somebody said he experienced a sunstroke. S-O-M, stroke. Let's listen to what he says. 13 of chapter 26. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven. And this is not the light of the sun, S-U-N. Brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard. That is a bad translation. It should mean it is painful. It is painful for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you ego apostelose. I am sending you to them. Jews and Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them 
from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So notice this Pharisee, this persecutor of Christianity, was arrested by the glory of God. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, he was blinded by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was grounded by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was humbled by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was questioned. By the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He was rebuked by the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying, you will not win. It is an impossible task to oppose me. You will not succeed. And it is extremely painful for you. The testimony of St. Stephen I suppose was bugging him. Now the same Jesus whom Stephen saw in heaven. When he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This same Jesus in his glory is confronting him. And so he asks, who are you, Lord? And he gives this answer, Ego, Amy, Jesus. I am Jesus. And so he was convicted by the glory of the Lord. And he draws some conclusion. First, Jesus is a lie. The Christians are right. And Stephen is right. Christians were saying, they said there is an empty tomb. There were resurrection appearances. And there is the church. It is not the faith of the Christians that created the church. It is the fact of resurrection that created the church. And everything begins to gel in his mind. Jesus is alive. Stephen is right. Christians are Christ's people. And above all, Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the conviction. And he was commanded by the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up. Get up. Stand on your feet. Instantaneously, he begins to understand. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is the humble servant. Get up. Stand on your feet. The language he used to Ezekiel. You read chapter 1 and chapter 2. Get up. Stand on your feet. And then he was comforted by this Lord Jesus Christ. Saying to him, as he said to Jeremiah, I will rescue you. From the Jews and from the Gentiles. A child of God is invincible and indestructible. Until his work is done on earth. 
I will rescue you. Nobody is able to touch you. Nobody is able to destroy. This doesn't mean you will not have any troubles and problems. You may experience beatings and problems and everything else, but nobody is able to kill you until I give permission. Yes, comforted by the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, he was commissioned by this Lord Jesus Christ. I appoint you. And then we are told in verse 17, Ego apostello say, I commission you as an apostle. Even as I commissioned the other apostles, I am commissioning you. And now he tells us something about the state of every unbeliever. Take a look at this verse 17. I will rescue you and I am sending you to them as an apostle for this purpose to open their eyes. Let's understand it very clearly. Every unbeliever is blind to reality. Every unbeliever is deluded. Every unbeliever is insane. Every unbeliever suppresses the truth and believes in a lie. This includes your mother and uncle. This includes the leaders and the scientists and the powerful of the world. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are deluded, you are blind, you are worse than blind Bartimaeus. Satan has blinded their eyes. That they may not see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's be very clear about it. The state of an unbeliever is the state of ignorance. The state of blindness. And secondly, the sphere they operate is called darkness. To turn them from darkness. They are ignorant, claiming to be wise. The scripture says they are in darkness and blind. What a terrible condition of these smart people of the world. When God looks upon him, he sees them as blind and moving about in the cave of darkness. And not only that, we are told here that they are under the thumb and power and control of Satan. I hope we believe that truth. It's the very word of God. Don't ever be fooled by hollow philosophies and empty boasting. They are in the kingdom of Satan and they are rendering strict obedience to Satan. So the commission is that I commission you, Paul, to both Jews and Greeks, that you may open the eyes of the blind, that you may deliver them from darkness to the light of the glory of God, and from the authority and control of Satan to the authority and control of God. 
That is the state of the unbelievers. You see, he is preaching to this august body. King and queen and governor and leading men of the city. The rich and the mighty. The glitterati. And what he says by implication is, King Agrippa, Governor Festus, pervert Bernice, leading men, you are blind, you are in darkness. You see, the Holy Ghost was resting upon him. He is bold and he is wise. He is unafraid to declare. You are blinded, you are in darkness, you are under the thumb and control of Satan. And I am commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to open your eyes and to turn you away from darkness and bring you into light and to turn you away from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you want to know what the gospel it is? The gospel that came from the Old Testament. What is the gospel? He says... This is the content of the gospel if you read it. That Christ must suffer. I got it from the law and the prophets. Christ must suffer. And not only that. That Christ must rise from the dead. And not only that. I learned from the law and the prophets. Especially the book of Isaiah. I learned that Christ would proclaim light to both Jews and the Gentiles through his apostles. You see, what is this gospel? The gospel is one who is stronger than Satan has come and bound the strong man. In his death on the cross, he defeated all forces that are against him. And now he rescues the perishing. He saves the hostages of the strong man. That's the power of the gospel. It is not that St. Paul had that power. But the gospel is power unto salvation to everyone who believes. Because the gospel is Jesus Christ who defeated the enemy. So Paul's argument is this. Before this great people. The law and the prophets, that means the Old Testament scriptures. Gentlemen spoke of the hope of resurrection for God's chosen people. This hope is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As the first one to rise from the dead. And he says, his resurrection proves that... Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. And his resurrection guarantees the resurrection hope of all God's people. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 where he makes this same point. Beginning with verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is the first fruit guaranteeing there is going to be a great harvest of people who will be raised from the dead. 
The resurrection hope that is revealed in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's the first to rise from the dead. He is risen, guaranteeing the hope of every Israelite, every true believer in God and his son Jesus Christ. That's what he is saying. So Jewish hope in the resurrection and the Christian message are linked inseparably as promise to fulfillment. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I am not an apostate Jew worthy of death by the Sanhedrin. But I am one who stands in vital continuity to the true Jewish faith. You see, this is the same message even today we must preach to the Jewish friends of ours. That this Christianity is not a different thing. It is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament promise. Who said that? The word of our Lord Jesus Christ in the 24th chapter of St. Luke. Let me read to you what Jesus said. Beginning with verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That's the Old Testament scriptures, the law and the prophets. He told them this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's the idea. Christ must suffer, Christ rises, and Christ proclaims the gospel. Paul is not an apostate Jew worthy of death by the Sanhedrin, but one who stands in vital continuity to the true Jewish faith. And what he says is this, every Jew who believes in the law and the prophets must believe in Jesus, who is its central message. And so finally he says, you know, The glory arrested me, confronted me, blinded me, grounded me, humbled me, questioned me, rebuked me, convicted me, commanded me, comforted me, commissioned me, and I complied. Nothing more, nothing less I can do when Jesus Christ confronts you. You will be humble, and you will comply, and you will serve him. This was the great motto of John Calvin. In service of Jesus Christ. And so he preached. And what did he preach? He says he preached to all. To the Jew and the Gentiles. We are told he preached repentance. Repentance means turning away from all evil. 180 degree turn from evil. You cannot be a Christian and be in the sphere of evil. Turn away from it. Turn away from it. There is no Jesus and dope. And Jesus and fornication. And Jesus and everything else. It's an impossibility. If you have been confronted by the risen Christ. You will turn away from it. Because repentance, true repentance is a gift that God gives to you. And you shall turn away from it. Not only that, positively, you turn to God. 
which is saying you believe in Jesus Christ. You entrust yourselves in the service of Jesus Christ with your mind, with your might, with your life, with your money, with your everything else. And not only that, you must prove your repentance. And that's what in this church we demand proof of your repentance. There is no cheap grace. There is no theoretical repentance. There is no empty profession. If you are confronted by the real Christ, you will repent. You will turn to God in true saving faith. And then you render him absolute obedience. Because we are told his yoke is easy. And his burden is not burdensome. That's the truth. If you find the yoke of Jesus Christ to be so heavy. Heavier than the yoke of Satan and Pharaoh. You are not a Christian. A Christian discovers that the law of Christ is easy and it's delight. It lifts your soul up into the heavenlies. It delights you in the depths of your being. It is inexpressible joy. That's what it is. And so he says, he is an apostle who opposes good works as ground of salvation. But at the same time, he demands good works as evidence of your salvation. That's his defense. And now, notice, the final is this. It was not just a defense. He was preaching to them. And he finally makes an evangelistic appeal. Let's turn to chapter 26. And let me read it to you from verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He was asking King Agrippa to testify to the truth to Festus. King Agrippa, you know, you are an authority in Jewish scriptures and Jewish affairs. What happened is not something that done in a corner. For three decades, people have been preaching about Christianity and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know these things. Do you know the scriptures? You believe in the scriptures? If you believe in the scriptures, you must say, Paul, you are absolutely right. Verse 28, King Agrippa said to Paul, Oh, he's the great guy. He's the big guy. Remember, he said, Great king, pious friend of Caesar and friend of Rome. He was ruling a little country. A little country, that's all. (laughs) Swollen with pride. Intellectual arrogance. He didn't believe in the scriptures. He didn't believe in anything. He was a pervert. Probably a little better pervert than his father and, and great-grandfather and great-uncle and others. He's a politician. And he said, what? Well, you think in such a brief time or brief message, 
You think you can persuade me to become a Christian? I'm such a big guy. I'm intellectually sophisticated. St. Paul said, it doesn't matter. I pray that all who listen to me be like me, a Christian. Believing in Jesus Christ. Except, now he lifts his hands way up. Hands of chain. Except, and he made a noise of it. Except these chains. This is evangelistic preaching. I'm afraid. All right, now let's look at the response of these uh, august body of people. The elite, the sophisticates of that time. Look at verse 24. You see, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. And you are out of your mind. Mine, Pauli, you are a maniac. You are a maniac. You see, he said that when he spoke about what? What do you think? A resurrection. He can believe in a Jesus who died. But to say that this Jesus was raised from the dead is delusion. You are crazy. You are a maniac. We are naturalists. We do not believe in supernatural ideas that stretch to the very limit of my reason and destroy it that somebody died, came from the dead. You are a maniac. You lost your mind, man. You understand. You are unfit to live in the world of sophisticated people. You believe in resurrection. You believe in God. Remember he already said. Is it incredible? 26 verse 8. I believe. Is it incredible? That God will raise the dead. You see St. Paul believed. In an infinite personal. Almighty God. Is it incredible for you? That God will raise the dead. Not incredible for me. It is not incredible for me that God created the universe. It is incredible for me when God raised his son from the dead. So what is it? You are a maniac. And what's the response of Agrippa? If I say yes to your defense, then I must believe in Jesus Christ. But if I say no, that I don't believe in the prophets, pious Jews will stone me. So what did he do? He became a politician. A politician. Don't commit to anything. But Paul said, I'm not a maniac. I'm not crazy. The words I speak are words of truth and sobriety. It is based on historical events. In other words, that God acted in history and God raised his son. From the dead. Let me ask you. Who was insane? Who was deluded? Do you know? Every single person. In that glittering auditorium. Was deluded. 
They were crazy. And they called the one alone who is sane as crazy. They will go away saying what? He's crazy. True crazies were Festus and Agrippa and Bernice and all these people. Their eyes are blinded according to the Bible. They do not see the reality of God and his world. Pride of intellect, pride of power, pride of position. Rationalism, naturalism. All against the claims of Christ. They would not be saved. You are crazy, Paul. Oh, turn with me to John 10 and verse 20. You will notice they call Jesus Christ demon-possessed and crazy. And in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, St. Paul said the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. All these intellectuals and sophisticates, they hate the gospel. But they will believe any kind of cow dung that is dished out to them in the name of philosophy and sophistication. Remember Jesus Christ spoke to Pilate in uh, John 18 and verse 37. Are you the king? He said, I am the king. I, I was born for this purpose and I am here to give witness to truth. And what did he say? What is truth? There's no such thing. Truth. St. Paul preached before the Areopagus uh, philosophers in Acts chapter 17. Turn to it. Let me see what they, what they said. He was preaching there. And verse 32, when they heard about what? The resurrection of the dead. Some of them sneered. The same idea. Naturalists, rationalists. They said, shut up. That was the end of that. Sneered. You are crazy. And turn with me to 24th chapter of Acts and verse 25. Here is a governor. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, judgment by the Lord Jesus Christ. Felix was afraid. That's another side of these people. They all are in great pomp and in great fantasy, but they all are afraid deep within and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. Put a stop to this kind of convicting sermon. So 26th chapter, verse 24, what did Festus say? You are crazy. And what did Agrippa say? I'm a big guy. I'm a great king. I'm very intellectual. I studied at at the court of Claudius. I brought up in Rome, man. (laughs) And you think that you can persuade me just like that to be a Christian? And bear this wretched name of Jesus Christ and be like you? And look at verse 30. The king rose, put a stop to all that. You see, in his address before the Ethiopagus people... We are told some people believed. And here, no one believed. The gospel is foolishness to them. What about you? If you have not been confronted by this Christ, if you are still in arrogance, if you will not bow down in service to Jesus Christ, And I pray that you pray to him, oh God, have mercy upon me. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that you have mercy upon us. Reveal your Son in us, in all his glory and majesty, that we may fall down and worship him and serve him all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.